0: Hog 01. One in. Night Owl Hog 01. Friendly's in sight, target in sight. In from the south. In from the south, you're twittered high, twittered high.
1: Wolf Hog good guns, good guns. So my favorite type of missions were the ones that helped people. And so whether that was bringing home troops from overseas from a long deployment, some of those guys would be gone six months to a year, and I'd be the one picking them up and bringing them directly home to their families. That was incredibly rewarding. I did a multitude of different humanitarian missions. So going down and picking people up before and after hurricanes or when people would need flying hospitals, we would act as a flying hospital. So there was a few times where I was able to actually take people who needed to get from Japan to Hawaii for an emergency surgery, or from, you know, Iraq to Germany because they needed to go to the hospital.
0: Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast, a podcast for those looking to become Air Force Aviators and hosted by current Air Force Aviators. For today's episode, I'll be your host. My name is Major John Waters, callsign Rain, and today's guest is Major Afton Brown. Major Brown is a former C-17 instructor pilot and now instructs in the T-1 Jayhawk. I think you're really going to enjoy gleaning from her perspective as well as hearing about her story. So with that being said, let's get in today's episode with Major Afton Brown. Afton, thanks for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure. Excited to be here.
0: Afton, before we kind of get rolling into the podcast, can you tell me a little about who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. My name is Major Afton Brown. I am a T1A instructor pilot. I was also a C-17 instructor pilot. And now I work as I go around the country talking about aviation experiences and trying to get people excited about aviation careers.
0: That's pretty awesome. How long have you been in the Air Force?
1: About 11 years. It goes by super fast.
0: That's crazy. So how did you get your start? Like, What school did you go to and how did you become an Air Force instructor pilot?
1: So I always knew I wanted to be a pilot. I was 13 and I saw one of those Air Force commercials with the fighter jets and I just knew that was what I wanted to do. So I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona, where I got a degree in engineering and got my pilot slot. And then the Air Force sent me to Columbus, Mississippi to be a pilot trainee. So that's where I got my start. And uh, it's been an amazing journey.
0: Growing up, so you saw the commercials and obviously that got you interested in, in wanting to be a pilot, but did you grow up in an aviation community, a family, or was it just no kidding you saw a commercial and said, Hey, I want to go do that one day.
1: No kidding. It was commercial on screen. looks like the coolest job in the entire world. And that's kind of where my dreams took off. And uh, I was also of the generation 9-11. I wore my first Air Force uniform in junior reserve officer training corps on 9-11 And that's really, I was called to serve, I was called to fly. So it's kind of a culmination of all of these things matching up to make the perfect career for me.
0: Awesome. So there's a lot that goes into becoming a pilot, but even just getting into college and then getting into ROTC, that takes a lot of work. So was there anything you were doing in high school or even middle school to kind of set you up to go Participate in ROTC?
1: Absolutely. There was plenty of things that I did, including trying to get into as many clubs um, that I really enjoyed and liked and trying to be in leadership positions in those and learn from my coaches and teachers on how to study well, be a good leader. I did a lot of community service and uh, that enabled me to get an ROTC scholarship. So I'd say for anybody out there who's looking to do those kinds of things, just, you know, be a very well-rounded person, but still do things that you really enjoy. So if you like football, go be on the football team. If you like debate and speech, go do that and kind of explore these different activities um, to get you all the different experiences that you may need to take into college with you.
0: I'm sure maybe you're different than me, but like my high school career wasn't like all roses. And it was like, Super easy. there were definitely some hurdles. Were there anything that you had to overcome or any challenges that were you know specific that were challenging for you?
1: So I might have been a little bit airplane obsessed. I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I also knew that I didn't have any money to go to college. and so if I was going to go to college, then I would have to earn that scholarship. So for me, it was twenty four seven working hard, trying to get good grades, trying to be in those clubs. and so that was really difficult as a teenager trying to like, just realize this dream of being a pilot and trying every day to just get to that goal. So I would say, um, if you are, you know, if you're in high school right now, you know, work hard, but, you know, take time for yourself and realize that like high school is, is going to be, you know, challenging. And if you take it one day at a time and one club or activity at a time, you're going to eventually get there. And you'll have enough to put on your scholarship applications or your academy application. But there's going to be a lot of challenges for you. And that's totally normal.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I always say to kids is this is a passion and a career you're pursuing. And there's going to be setbacks. So no doubt there are going to be hurdles. And it's it's the long game. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's just keeping keeping the grind, keeping focused on what the end goal is. And it's a long road. But with that, absolutely, you made it to ROTC. What was ROTC like for you?
1: So I did uh, an aerospace engineering degree. I got my degree in four and a half years. And every year I would do something with ROTC and they would kind of teach me how to be an officer year by year. So it was really exciting to meet my new classmates and to meet other people who were like me for the first time uh, that had that passion for the Air Force and passion for flying. And so we learned about history and then we would learn about professionalism and then we'd learn about leadership. And so I think that for me, ROTC was the best path because not only did I get to have a more normal college experience, I definitely learned a lot of life skills along the way. I had to have a job in the summers, I had to take summer school, I had to, you know, balance classes and social life and ROTC all together. And I think those were really good lessons because when I got into the Air Force, I had to do the same thing all over again and I was on my own and studying for pilot training and doing that. So ROTC really set me up well to go into the Air Force and to to be a good officer.
0: Why did you pick ROTC over going to the Air Force Academy?
1: So to be honest, I really thought the Air Force Academy was the only way to get a pilot slot. And I just didn't have the information available to me at the time so I'm really glad that for everyone out there listening, you can go to airforce.com and it will take you to the Academy website. It'll take you to the ROTC website and you can get all of the information on when to apply and what it's like. And you can pick up mentors. That wasn't available to me. So when I tried to apply for the academy, I didn't get a senator's recommendation. I didn't have any mentors and I wasn't able to get in touch with any Academy liaison officers to get any help. So When I applied, I applied with an extremely weak package and they were going to put me into the pre-academy school, which isn't somewhere that I wanted to go. But Ember Riddle picked me up and I decided like that's probably going to be the better fit for me. And I went and I'm really glad that I did because I really appreciated the experience that ROTC gave me um, in the end.
0: That's awesome. So you're slightly different. You're much smarter than me because I did not do aerospace engineering, but... I thought it's kind of one of these misnomers that you had to be an engineer to be a pilot and I found out day 1 of my orientation that that was not the case. So I do think it's important to highlight there are a lot of mentors and there's a lot of information out there so there people have walked the path. Go find those people, get a mentor to go out there and guide you.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so I'm sure, you know, like You might have been the smarter one because I took up engineering because I thought that that was what I had to do to get a scholarship and to be a pilot. And I didn't get that information. So I turned out not to be too bad of an engineer, but I definitely would have been a lot happier had I picked another major that I was more passionate about. Um, So I would say from me to you, find what your passion is and really chase that as well. So pick a major that you really love because that is important um so it's important to balance like what is useful as a major versus you know like what you're really passionate about. I wouldn't say go out and get, you know, a worthless degree that you'll never use again, but at the same time like if you're going to do something you hate, it's not going to be worth it in the end.
0: I think that is sage advice and that that's it like nail, nailed nailed on the head there the um I did not do a major that I was super passionate about. It was more or less I want to be a pilot in hindsight. Looking back, I was like, well, if I got hit in the eye with a rock, if there's a medical, you know, medical issue I had, I would have kind of been hosed. So if I'd gone back and if I could do it again, younger me, I would have said, go do architecture, do something that you would have a skill set to fall back on. So,
1: And I'd also like to point out, I get a lot of people asking me, like, do I have to get an aviation degree to be a pilot? And the answer is no to be fair, um, there's a lot of degrees out there that you know you, you can be passionate about and you can do that are not aviation um, instead of getting an aviation degree. And like you said, if you get an aviation degree and you get all these ratings and everything, the Air Force is going to pay for those ratings anyway in the end. And if something are to happen to you medically or you, know, you just fell out of love with aviation, like now you have this aviation degree you can't use. So if it were me, I would probably get something that either complements aviation or something that you are extremely passionate about because the Air Force is really going to pay for every rating that you need, every flight hour that you need. They're going to give you all the aviation classes that you need. So there's no need to get that specific degree.
0: Yeah. So know the requirements, know what ne- you need in order to go out there and achieve your objective of being a pilot or wherever it might be. But knowing the requirements, I think is like the biggest thing I, I would tell myself that if I got traveled back in time too, is like find a mentor and figure out what the requirements are. So ROTC, you spend four, four and a half years doing ROTC towards into that. You get awarded a pilot slot. Can you tell me a little bit about the transition from going from ROTC to an air force officer and then going to pilot training?
1: Absolutely. And I think the transition is very stark because one day you're a college student and you know, like the only thing you have to focus on is going to class and maybe your ROTC courses, and then the next day you're an Air Force officer. and there's a lot more responsibility that is placed on you, especially in pilot training. The studying is a little bit different. the environment's a little bit different. and now you're in a very competitive environment. You've got all these people who their passion is aviation. And now they're coming into pilot training and you're all working together to get those wings. So the pilot training year is one of those years that is extremely difficult, probably more difficult than any year you've ever had, whether you've been to the academy or you got an engineering degree. Like pilot training is the pressure cooker and we are constantly giving you information every day that you need to learn, you need to memorize, you need to make sure that you understand so you can be safe in the airplane. And there's no breaks for one whole year. We are forging you to be this amazing Air Force pilot, one of the best pilots in the entire world. And when you come out onto the other side, you're more mature. You've learned so much. You've come so far. You've made amazing friends. And you're going to go fly one of the most advanced aircraft in the world, no matter what you get picked up to fly in pilot training. So it's an incredible experience. It's basically like warp speeding you into becoming that professional adult (laughs) officer Uh, that, that you always imagined you could be.
0: So you get the C-17 out of pilot training. I assume that was probably your first choice.
1: Actually, I always wanted to fly the Osprey. And when I was going through pilot training, they didn't have it as an option. So nowadays you can get picked up uh, to be an Osprey driver right out of pilot training. But I always thought the Osprey was like the most amazing aircraft uh, because I'm an engineer nerd. So (laughs) C-17s, would be the second choice, Um, and I got that, and I went to McGuire Air Force Base, and I was very lucky because it's one of the most amazing aircraft in the fleet, and um, I think that no matter what you would have gotten out of pilot training, they say you always fall in love with your first aircraft because every assignment in the Air Force is amazing, and you learn to love the community, and you learn to love the airplane and the mission, and So truly, this is one of those careers where no matter where you go, you're probably going to end up falling in love with whatever you end up doing because being a pilot's the best job. So
0: yeah, no doubt, you can't go wrong, right?
1: No, no. Even if you want to fly fighters,
0: (laughs) I might be slightly biased. Yeah, the (laughs) uh, so flying the C seventeen, I've I've ridden in the cockpit a few times. To me, it's a really impressive plane. To me, what's mind boggling is this huge plane and doing some of the crazy things. That you guys do in the c17 just like doing an assault landing at night on like an unprepared strip to me is just mind-blowing i want a really long runway and i want to see it uh, but that's just the world i grew up in can you tell me what's some of the coolest stuff or like unique things about the c17 what makes it such an awesome platform
1: so this is going to be my favorite part of the whole podcast is telling <laughs> you about this amazing airplane um the c17 was actually built around the floor and to carry just large cargo for the military. So you can actually fit tanks inside the C-17, you can break down helicopters, you can fit hundreds of troops, and it can be converted to do multiple different missions. So we do cargo, we do low levels where we drop people out the back, we do humanitarian missions, we do air refueling, we can really be converted to do anything. And so it's what they call the workhorse of the Air Force. So the C-17 mission can be broken down into basically two different types of missions where you have airland missions, where we're taking people and cargo all over the world. So I've been to every continent except for Antarctica. And that's only because I never got to do the ice mission, which is another type of mission that we do. We go down and we replenish the supplies down in Antarctica for the scientists down there. And then the other type of mission that we do would be like special warfare slash low levels and uh, airdrop. And so that type of mission requires a couple different more certifications. And when you do that, you're able to do a whole bunch of different, very special type operation missions that the C-17 can do. So very, very versatile aircraft. And I could talk all day about it. So my favorite type of missions were the ones that helped people. And so whether that was bringing home troops from overseas from a long deployment, some of those guys would be gone six months to a year. And I'd be the one picking them up and bringing them directly home to their families. That was incredibly rewarding. I did a multitude of different humanitarian missions. So going down and picking people up before and after hurricanes, or when people would need flying hospitals, we would act as a flying hospital. So there was a few times where I was able to actually take people who needed to get from Japan to Hawaii for an emergency surgery, or from you know Iraq to Germany because they needed to go to the hospital or we'd be able to set up whole hospital cities in countries where they needed emergency medical care. So those types of missions were incredibly rewarding to me. And if anybody out there finds those type of missions are incredibly rewarding to them, the C-17 and the Air Force is going to be the one place that you can really get that. There's not another job on the planet where you can do such a vast multitude of different things. And every day your job is rewarding and the people that you work with are amazing and the people's lives that you get to touch is just endless.
0: What does a day in the life of a C17 pilot look like?
1: So it varies from day to day, but missions include, you know, waking up and being very organized and on a time schedule. You get your crew up and the crew can be anything from about 4 people to about 12 people depending on what you're doing. We get out the door, we go to the jet, we get the jet ready. I get the day's schedule and I say, "Hey, we're going to go to Germany, Spain and then Turkey." And we get to go to all these amazing countries, we get to drop off cargo people, and then we get to spend the night in one of these amazing places and you get to visit with the locals and you get to see what it's like in different countries and then the next day you wake up and you do it all over again. And the next day I'm off to Qatar, Afghanistan, and then I'm off to Africa and it's just an incredibly Different type of lifestyle. You're traveling, you're getting to meet new people and have new experiences and really get to do this rewarding mission at the same time. So it's amazing.
0: No, that's pretty cool. And it's completely different. Obviously, I have a slightly different background and it's a slightly different world. When we're traveling around, we're not quite staying in different spots. It's just go to one spot, stay there, and live there for six months. So there's having variety is a nice thing. I would like to have variety every now and then. So that's pretty cool. McGuire was your first assignment flying the C 17. Did you fly the C-17 anywhere else or was that your only C-17 assignment?
1: Nope. That was my only C-17 assignment. I was there for about four years. And then after a while of traveling around the world and you know, being a, uh, a vagrant, <laughs> just going from <laughs> hotel to hotel, I really wanted to continue to instruct, but I wanted to do it Um, on the, at home, at a home station where I had a home base. So I went to undergraduate pilot training, which is another extremely rewarding career because now I get to go back to where I was taught to fly and I get to be an instructor and teach students how to fly and intermix my experiences with the C-17 with instruction in what we call the T-1A Jayhawk. And so I taught advanced phase three instructions. The last six months that a student will be in undergraduate pilot training will be in that airframe and I get to teach them everything from basic flying skills in that aircraft to navigation, instruments, formation, and send them off uh, to go to their major weapons system.
0: And where did you do that T1 instruction at?
1: Columbus Air Force Base in Mississippi.
0: Oh, yeah. So I spent a few years being a T6 instructor pilot there. Columbus, Mississippi, just a beautiful garden spot but it's changed a lot since I've been there. So, I mean, there's so many restaurants, uh, just a great little spot.
1: <laughs> it's so good.
0: <laughs> what was like the, I mean, was there a highlight of being a T1 instructor? I definitely have a few things that stick out in my mind from either scary sorties or really awesome, like seeing a student progress from like really struggling, not gonna make it through to excelling by the end of pilot training. Do you have any like really big highlights from your T1?
1: Absolutely. So at the end of my time there, I was able to be a flight commander in my first class, class eighteen fourteen. when they came through, I was able to see everything from like the students who were really, really struggling. And we were able to help them through all that and get them to learn the lessons and then get them to wings, which is always really rewarding. We had a lot of, you know, personal things that happened in that class where the students had stuff that was going on in their lives that was affecting training. And so we got to become you know, like mentor mentee kind of relationship and help them through all that to get them on to the next phase. And then when I got to see them graduate after all that time with them, all the training, all the days, um, was probably one of the most proud moments of my whole life because I am now able to pass on everything that I've learned to the next generation of aviator. And there's nothing like that. Being an instructor in whatever you choose to do in life is the most rewarding thing that you can do is just passing that knowledge and that love on to another person.
0: Yeah, there's no sarcasm in the love part there, but I, it's, it's really cool being an instructor because I found it having, especially pilot training, because those students five, 10 years later down the road that you might not necessarily remember, but they definitely remember you, hopefully in a good way, but that you've made some impactful change like in their life and they, things that have stuck with them in their aviation career, which is really cool to impart your wisdom and I have air quotes going there, but impart that knowledge and hopefully make them a better, better person and set them up for success in their career. So
1: both of us being instructors, do you have like a very impactful student that you still keep in touch with? I know I have multiple students to still call, ask advice, do the things.
0: Yeah. I've uh, there's probably four or five students that I still keep in touch with on a regular basis that one, either some were just great all the way through and through. And we just had a, a good personality, like connection others, the other two of them really struggled in the beginning. And by the time they got to like the formation phase, like they had figured it out and were really doing well and ended up going on to fly fighters, which is what they wanted to do, but they had no chance in the beginning of just how, how much they struggled. But like me, like I'm a person, you can tell me, don't run into the wall. You're going to run into the wall. I will have to go run into the wall and say, I know you told me that, but like, I just, it, it takes me a while to learn that there's some people who you can just tell them you're probably that person because aerospace engineer, like, Hey, don't do that. And you don't do that, but I'm not very smart. It, it takes me a little bit to learn it. So it's cool to see people progress and they're able to actually capture the lessons that you you're teaching and imparting on them. So it's cool.
1: Absolutely. I would say that if you want to go to pilot training, if you can find somebody that loves to instruct, loves to teach, loves to mentor, that's going to be your best shot at being able to ask all the questions that you need. Where do i need to go to school what do i need to study what are the things i need to look out for so um if you ever need that you know try to find someone like rain or i and we are more than happy to sit down with you tell you our experiences show you the way and finding that mentor is super key to be able to getting the career and the dream job that you want
0: yeah that's one thing i was lucky early on to get my first mentor I think everyone needs several mentors and it might be for dis- different aspects of life. But again, like you're not the first person to walk this path. So find those people that have the experiences and the different things you're doing, seek their knowledge, seek their advice. Because if you go it alone, like it is going to be very painful and you're going to, have to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. And so I think having a mentor and mentors is like absolutely critical. Another piece of that too is make sure you, you know, capitalize on their knowledge and experience Figure out the stuff that you can learn on your own, like respect their time, go out there, figure out what you need to, and then let them fill in the gray area. Let them fill in the details and kind of refine what you have out there. So now you're teaching the instructors how to teach in the T1. I imagine it's probably not as rewarding because you're teaching aviate, winged aviators already, but there's definitely got to be some challenges and some uniqueness that goes into instructing T1 instructors.
1: Uh, actually I'm going to go ahead and say you're wrong on that one. It
0: is,
1: (laughs) it is equally as rewarding, if not more rewarding to take somebody who is going to be teaching the next generation and imparting your wisdom on them. So they have the tools to go out and make somebody else a winged aviator. So I feel like every time I go up to fly, I really want to give them the tools required, the instruction skills required. Um, and teach them how to be a good, empathetic, um, forward thinking type instructor. Because I think we've all had teachers out there that they just like give us the information and we don't really get it. But a true instructor is somebody who understands their student, who can understand their learning style, who can understand their abilities, and then can go out and then teach that student in a way that will connect with them. So whenever at the schoolhouse we're teaching students, we're trying to keep that in mind. And that's a very hard thing to pass on to somebody Much more difficult than, hey, I need you to just fly this thing. It is now, I need you to fly this thing. I need you to fly this thing well. And I also need you to be very open minded when you're doing it to watch the student as they do it and then teach them how to do it. So it's extremely rewarding to be an instructor's instructor. And, um, and like, I'm very lucky to be in this job right now. I've really, really enjoyed being able to do that and to pass along like the culmination of everything I've learned as an instructor onto other instructors who will then go teach students who will then fly airplanes. So this is a great job and it just makes me love aviation even more. And some days are harder than others because yeah. going up and playing a student. So an instructor can so a student can play like an instructor, but then we both have to be responsible for what's going on in the aircraft sometimes gets convoluted, but at the same time I'm teaching critical skills to the next generation of instructors
0: yeah absolutely i didn't want to sell you short there but it is cool <laughs> I, I really like like the new guy who has no idea what they're doing versus like but i can fully anticipate that at pit pilot instructor training there are people who have are seasoned aviators that they're doing something different and they got a lot to learn so you're doing a lot of work which is pretty cool And we're also
1: teaching the FAPES. So you were a so that first assignment instructor pilot. So you've got a student that just came out of pilot training and now they want to go be an instructor. And so now I have to teach this very junior aviator to not only fly the aircraft well, but to make sure they stay safe and they're teaching students. So these first assignment instructor pilots really is a coveted amazing job because right out the gate as a 24 year old you're flying a multi-million dollar aircraft and you're teaching other people to do the same so when they come through the schoolhouse that's really a treat to be able to teach them
0: yeah no doubt out of your three assignments all pretty different some some overlap there is there one that sticks out as your favorite
1: to be honest and this might sound a little corny, but I've been really blessed with the assignments that I've had. And I've loved every one of them for different reasons. And I've had an amazing career. I want to continue to have amazing assignments. I don't know if there's a bad aviation assignment, to be honest. So that would be hard to answer.
0: <laughs> that was very politically correct of you. Thank you for doing that. But no, you're right. Every every assignment has its pros and cons. Except for fighters. I wouldn't fly <laughs> fighters. That would suck. Well, that's going to get edited right out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's one of those things. Like there's pros and cons to all of it. There's ups and downs. So you gotta find the good, right? Because yeah. even even Columbus, Mississippi was still one of my favorite assignments, despite being in Columbus, Mississippi. It's the people that make the assignment.
1: It's the people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you could look back and find 16-year-old Afton, is there any advice you would give her? It could be 15-year-old Afton too, or 17-year-old. So.
1: <laughs> Very young Afton. Yeah. Um, if older major Afton could talk to high school Afton, I would say just keep working hard. Like It really is about showing up every day and giving your all, being passionate, and just continuing to work towards your goal. Like you said earlier, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's life. So if you're having a hard time, if you're you know, up against a challenge, just know that that challenge will not always be there. And that hard part will not always be there. And if you just show up every day, then one day you're going to look back and be like, wow, I made all my goals, everything that I always wanted. It's here. And I've been very fortunate because I was able to do everything that 15-year-old Afton wanted to do. But I think that sometimes in life, there are things that get in your way from your goals and your dreams. So just remember that if, if you don't make that one goal that you wanted, there's always something for you around the corner if you're willing to work hard and show up. So don't always think that if you don't get the one thing that you wanted, there isn't something better for you around the corner.
0: I cannot think of a better way to end the podcast than on that note. Uh, it's truly sage advice. Afton, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I know people are really going to enjoy hearing your story and the advice that you've on them so thanks again
1: thank you i really appreciate it it's been a pleasure
0: thanks for listening in to the pathway to wings podcast we'll be back in two weeks with another episode